and welcome to the seventh episode of Total Pop Mode. My name is Will, and I'm joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James. What's up, you gaggle of generous giraffes? You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcasts on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. And you can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. Before we crack on with the podcast, I wanted to discuss a little tidbit that I've been speaking about earlier with my good friend Liam. Hi, Liam. Shout out to Liam. You know, this is uh, this this story that I'm just about to talk about it isn't really representative of his general interests, I'm sure. It was more like a happenstance thing that we ended up talking about this. So, yeah, we were talking today, and it came up um, as we were sort of reading through some articles that linden trees, which is kind of more commonly known as the chestnut tree or a conch tree, they're sort of quite popular in England, particularly in the South feast and uh, every so often during autumn they produce the chestnuts that you know the classically children and adults alike drill a little hole in the chestnut put a string through it and then they have sort of chestnut battles you must remember this from your childhood james i do remember this from my childhood yes although i think chestnuts are because they always give me an allergic reaction. They're really bad for hay fever, horse chestnut trees. So in this article, it actually states that linden trees smell like cum. Oh. Yeah. That's the headline, is it? It's actually, uh, linden trees smell like semen, but... Oh, know, right, I, I was going to say, yeah. I embellished. I love the idea that it was like written in like in like a newspaper font, like, tree stinks of cum. <laughs> the Guardian, linden trees in Enfield, Bromley and Hounslow reek of cum. Ah. As it begins to produce the chestnuts, it will also, the pollen from the trees, I believe, has a kind of a, a citrusy smell with also a mixture of honey, and apparently that is very much akin to the smell of semen. So uh, a lot of people have been complaining in the southeast of England uh, of cum smell in the air. So it's not uh, the local crackhead in the bushes, it's, uh, it's actually just the trees. Yeah, that's what they want you to think. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just pick up something you said there? Like, whose cum smells like honey and whatever else you said? As someone who lived in South East London for most of my early life, i got to say, I, I do kind of know what they're talking about. There's a weird smell in the air that happens around that time, and we actually did, in fact, have two large chestnut trees uh, just at the top of my road. And it is just quite a strong, pungent smell. I don't know if the first thing, I wasn't, you know, like, instantly thinking, oh, yeah, that's cum. But there is a smell in the air, and uh, people are now likening this to cum. Do you know what? Funnily enough, I have I know the smell you mean, right? But I never thought it was chestnut trees. There's like a bush that does it. Oh, okay, okay. There's a cummy bush somewhere. Yeah, because I remember I used to walk into like the local Tesco, wherever it was where I was working, and I used to walk past a bunch of bushes. And there was a certain bush that used to smell like gum. Well, I mean, if any of our listeners are walking past such a bush, ID that shit for us, yo. Bust out one of those camera apps. I want to find out what the cummy bush is. We know that yeah. what the cummy trees are. But do you want to pick your words bush. again there, mate? Cummy bushes yeah. no we're we're sticking with it damn not something i thought we'd be talking about when I first started i won't lie it was it was an interesting tidbit that i picked up and uh, i just felt like i you know i don't know i felt like today was the day to share that with everyone a local resident living nearby the trees has compared the smell to something pretty bubbly and flirty not really sure what that's about. Well, that's the, the two words that I think of when I think of semen. I kind of feel like you've gone past the uh, period of flirtation once you get to the cummy bit. Anyway, with that... Uh, <laughs> anyway, with that. Very, very interesting impromptu opener out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Should we, uh, should we crack on with our catch-up? I mean, yeah. Episode, new episode name's Nutbusters. That's done. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Come hither and smell my cummy bush. I think should be the episode name. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to go down well. I think we should move on. We should move on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, James. Well, as you know, I've been busy with the challenge this week. So why don't you kick us off with what you've been up to for the last week? So this week, man, I've, uh, I've had a few days off. So I was actually able to get a decent amount of gaming in. Had one of those sort of flitty weeks where I sort of flitted about from a few different games. But there's really only two that I'll discuss today. The first one of which is a game called Mortal Shell, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it or if you've played it or anything like that. I definitely haven't heard of Mortal Shell, no. Okay, so it's another Souls-like. It's, I believe, made by a relatively small studio. They certainly didn't have the highest budget 
I wouldn't have said in the game. Um, but it's a pretty cool concept. You're, you're essentially a completely defenseless foundling. Little baby foundling. Little baby. Well, you're not. You're like a, an adult. You're grown. But okay. um, you sort of wake up in some water and then you do the tutorial level, which is all water-based, basically. Standard sort of fare. You fight boss at the end. It doesn't matter if you beat it or don't beat it unless you want that achievement. So you can guess what I did for like an hour. <laughs> of course, naturally. But yeah, then so you get into the game and the sort of core mechanic is that you don't really level up as a class per se like you don't level your your own stats what happens is you find shells that you inhabit which give you your stamina your health your your power points because when you're just your normal foundling self you get killed in one shot no matter what so it works like souls so you die and you'll wake up at the equivalent of a bonfire which isn't a bonfire it's actually a priestess that you talk to okay okay there's only four shells in the base game. There's a fifth one added in the DLC. So not a huge amount of variety to choose from, but they can all use the same weapons. They do have different passive abilities and things like that, but they can use the same equipment and all that good stuff. So it's basically sort of, you can tailor it to your playstyle almost. Like one of them's full health, but low stamina and low, I think it's resolve is the PowerPoints mechanic. I think it's called resolve. One of them is sort of very balanced, which is the first one you find. One of them's high stamina, low resolve, low or sort of mid to low health. And one of them is a higher resolve lower health and lower stamina because resolve kind of acts like magic i was going to ask yeah so there's that essentially it's not quite so how does it work then what what are the spells that you cast there's no spells really it's like your mana but it's for things like parrying and oh okay yeah okay. which is really annoying actually but um parrying then you can your weapons as you unlock upgrades for the weapons um they get new sort of special attacks and it uses a bar of resolve to use those special attacks and things like that because you don't really need to i didn't really engage in that I, I use them occasionally but not much you typically go for sort of more melee builds what did you go for the balanced one then mostly or did you go for the kind of the high stamina one so I started off, well, obviously I started off as the balanced one, so that's what you do. I then made it my mission to find all of the other shells as quickly as possible so I could play with them and see what I liked. Uh, initially, I quite liked the big tanky one because you can just tank loads of hits. So while I was learning the game, that was good. But mm, I actually, the mm. one I ended up settling on was the high stamina, low health or lower health one uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, it looked the coolest in my opinion, yeah. which is a big thing in games like that. For <laughs> yeah, fashion, absolutely. Um, Got to stay with it. But the main thing was it gains, once you unlock all of its passives, it gains an immunity to poison. Well, not an immunity to poison, but when you're poisoned, it heals you rather than takes your health down. Okay. And poison, whilst isn't isn't the most common thing in that game, is really irritating when you do get it. Mm, mm. Um, and the other reason was he unlocks an ability where 20% of the time, or tw- I think it's 20% of the time, if you take a hit, it will take off your stamina rather than your health. And that oh, okay. really saved my ass a few times. Then if you, if you lose all of your health and you get hit, the foundling is like knocked out of the shell. And then you can't, you have an opportunity then, all the enemies then freeze around it. You have a few seconds to get back into your shell, which will give you a full health bar again. But then if you get knocked out again, then that's how you're dead. Game over, man. So it's something similar to a second win mechanic. It sounds interesting. The second win mechanic is a very good way to look to think about it. I think you sort of you get a second chance, but you can get killed on your way back to your shell. You said that the enemies slow down or they freeze time. Yeah, though. for like a couple of seconds. But in that time, you're on the floor writhing about. You don't get up straight away, and then you have to sprint back to your shell. And you can I've overrun it. I've gotten stuck between the enemy and my shell, and I've been pressing A to get back in, and the enemies hit me. All sorts. But the other kicker on this is that you don't. Really Really get a healing item so you don't get any estus equivalent at all in the whole game okay but the trade-off is is that you get full health back every time you manage to get back into the shell yeah but you only get that once so the only once. other healing you get is you can pick up mushrooms which regen like 30 health over 30 seconds okay okay so it's a lot more brutal at first but once you get strong enough it it becomes not too big an issue yeah um, but yeah no so played played through that pretty short game which is why I say that I think it's possibly come from a smaller development with less budget. Because, mm, I mean, mm. I think there's only... If you discount the tutorial boss, who you then, when you're unlocking three the other three of the four weapons you get in the yeah. base game, you have to fight him again. So it's kind of like one boss four times. But other than that, there's right, only, like, there's okay. only four bosses apart from that in the whole game. So you go to three different temples, do your thing, kill the bosses. And then you essentially you take a gland out of the boss and take it back to this big motherfucker. Who then... Well, do you care about... Do you care about spoilers? Uh, not particularly. I was going to ask you to give us a quick sort of overview of the premise of the game. So yeah, okay. get to it. So you're a foundling. You want to ascend from the mortal plane into heaven. This is my complete take. Could be nonsense, but this is how I read it. 
to do so, you need to be more powerful. You need to drink this nectar stuff, which is essentially the souls. The currency the souls, souls yeah. of the game. It's yeah. called shortened to tar. Tar, okay. Like I say, big motherfucker helps you. It's like, bring me glands. You get glands from him, from the three bosses that you kill. He drinks the nectar to heal himself. And gives you a little bit to, like, level up your parry and whatnot. Right, right. Turns out he's an evil bastard, which I saw which I saw coming straight away. <laughs> it's not very well hidden, to be honest. The demon horns and glowing red eyes, really. No, it's, it's actually giveaway, just like really. a big old beaky face. Oh, okay. Like Plague Doctor style. Yeah, kind of thing, bird. but metal. Right, okay, yeah. And yeah, so saw that coming, then you fight that as final boss. And then essentially, I think there's a choice at the end. I took the gland out of this boss and then ascended to heaven myself. And that okay. was the game. What was the alternate choice? I guess the alternate choice is don't take the gland, but I don't know what that does. Um... And I don't know if you can actually leave without that. I, I didn't try, I'm just assuming. But yeah, had fun with it, finished it. You know, I've probably done with it in two, three days, but liked it enough that I bought the DLC. And interestingly, the DLC, just turns it into a roguelite which is pretty cool it has a separate mode on it and you start you can pick your starting shell your starting weapon and your starting parry ability because you do unlock other parry abilities which honestly i didn't with too much because the healing one's the best Mm -hmm. and then you just start off a random point in the map it's exactly the same map but the enemy spawns are completely random okay okay so uh, that's that's cool then i was going to ask you if there was any procedural generation element to this, it's more just like randomized enemy much, placement. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, it'd be kind of cool to see more games have that sort of additional element in the new game plus. I thought it was a nice touch. I mean, I've seen a few reviews saying it's not worth the money because all it does is just sort of randomize it and it doesn't add any new content. But it's like, it adds a new shell, it adds a new weapon. You get a completely new game in essence because you get a roguelite on the side of it. As well as a quite a bit more longevity in terms of, well, you just mentioned that it's quite a short game. You were able to finish it in quite a quick time. Yeah, I finished in about 10 hours. Yeah, right. So the addition, I mean, 10 hours is, is pretty damn short considering the majority of games that are actually released these days. There's not all that many games released at the moment that you're able to complete in such a short amount of time so any excuse to add a bit more time played is you know makes sense to me yeah and like i say i think it's really quite good fun yeah if you vibe with the game why wouldn't you want to play it more at randomized enemies all your stuff gets reset so you don't have your plus five plus ten weapon anymore wherever you because you can only plus five it in the base but new game plus i plus tender um so yeah it's really good fun I mean, I, I got it on sale, so I was very pleased with it. And the DLC was £3 or three ninety nine. I had absolutely no problem paying that after the fun I'd had. So we'll probably keep playing the roguelite for a time. You know, just, I mean, I haven't played it since about Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, but I will probably dip into that. Yeah, nice. And then the other game that I'd like to talk about is... I don't know if I want to call it a random game because I think that's unfair, but I certainly wasn't too aware of this franchise before. The other game that I want to talk about is called Gujan 3. Where was Guijan, uh, where was Guijan 1 and 2? No idea because they don't have English translation, so I didn't... Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, I was just, you know, as, I, as you do, looking on the Steam sales, seeing what I can buy because I've got problems and I'd like to buy video games. <laughs> like to run away in video game yeah. land. <laughs> because I like to forget my life. Well, why don't you <laughs> <laughs> and I saw this game and it looked really cool graphically. It was really nice, like very pretty. Everything's written in simplified Chinese though. So I'm like, what the f*** is going on here? But sort of read the review of it. I saw that it had English subtitles and an English UI and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, give it a go. And essentially what it is, is a role play game. So think sort of the Witcher sort of style, if you like. So main quest, bunch of side quests. Combat spells, that sort of thing. Quite hack and slashy. Same sort of thing with Witcher. You, you Apart from your dodge actually uses stamina in combat um, but swinging your sword doesn't it's pretty cool so far it's got all, everything you want it's got platform elements it's got your standard role play fair i haven't quite got to this point yet but i think there's a own your own homestead functionality planting <laughs> crops farming stuff uh, everyone's putting animal crossing in their game these days so it's an interesting game so from what i've gathered so far you're half fey and your twin brother gets killed by a mortal wound that I assume was suffered in one of the two previous titles. And you uh, and you take on his throne having lived on the mortal world all your life because you got cast out when you were a kid. Haven't quite got into that side of the law yet. I don't know why he was cast out, your main character guy. Mm. And you get summoned back to be the, the heir of the Fey throne and then you have to protect the Fey kingdom from demons attacking it. So, you know, loads okay. of cool stuff going on. Sounds like a pretty typical story of a battle between light and dark. All that sort of spirit realm, heaven, earth, 
all that lovely stuff. So I haven't gotten too far into it. And I say, and take this with a pinch of salt, because I've probably played about six and a half, seven hours. Right. But for an RPG, that really is nothing. No, yeah, yeah. How many hours do you think it's going to take to uh, get through this? You'd be talking like hundreds of hours? I don't think it'll be hundreds, no. But I really have no gauge of how long the game is. And I don't know how much I'll engage with a lot of the functionality I've spoken about just there. With the farming, the homestead. There's a card game as well, which is, Mm. I've no idea what's going on because I can't read Chinese. Oh, it's Gwent. It's, uh, it's no, it's not Gwen. It's, it's more like Uno in a weird way, but it's not. You have to match cards of the same colour and you have to create pairs and triplets and quadruplets. But I have no idea how any of the characters' weapons or whatever, you know, all the different things on the cards interact with one another. And because I have no idea, I'm just completely guessing. And I've learnt a few of them. Like I know that, oh, that lady goes with that bloke. So I need to try and get them in. But hilarious playing a game where you have no idea what's going on. And the translation is pretty good. I'll give it that. But it's not perfect. So some funny moments in some of the subtitles. I was going to say that can sometimes lend to the humour of a game and uh, yeah, make it a bit more of an exactly. experience playing. So not always a major consideration. Depending if it's like an anime style or if it's in that sort of setting, I typically play with Japanese games specifically. I will play with the Japanese language and then have English subtitles because I just think it adds to the flavour. This one, there's no option. I have to have I have to have simplified Chinese with English subtitles and that actually adds to the charm of it in my opinion. Really just a tie bow on Gujan 3. So far, so good. I will play more of it and thought it'd be interesting to bring to the table because it's not a franchise that I've ever heard of and my understanding is that certainly out west Chinese RPGs don't get a lot of love for whatever reason um, and my first foray into I've never played a Chinese RPG before that I'm aware of anyway and so far very impressed so yeah I'll keep you posted on how I get on with it but how about you, man? Aside from challenging things, have you managed to get anything else in this week? Yes, actually. Aside from the Monster Hunter Iceborne challenge, I actually managed to stick just a few hours into the title Control, which is a game made by Remedy, who are also responsible for the Alan Wake, Quantum Break and Max Payne titles. You play as a woman called Jessie, who at the very start of the game is arriving at a place that is the headquarters of the Federal Bureau of Control. Hence the name. And they refer to the building as the oldest house. On entering the building, you meet a janitor by the name of Atti, and he directs you eventually to the director's room. As you enter the director's room, you find that he has actually shot himself in the head, and you actually manage to retrieve his gun. Uh, So at that point, you kind of make a discovery that there is a, a sort of a board overseeing this building, but they're kind of like a faceless voices at this point in the game. And once you pick up the gun, uh, which they kind of refer to as an object of power or your service weapon, you then assume control of the building, I assume? The the board essentially announces that you are now the director. The game is very confusing. It explains very little up at that point. Uh, She does kind of speak to herself. It sounds like she's either speaking to herself or to someone else that's got some sort of power or something. She's talking to the gun. Well, she's speaking to it, I believe, before she actually gets hold of the gun. And she does state that she's going into the building to uncover some sort of mystery around her childhood. And that probably has to do with the person that she's speaking to. Uh, so once you actually become director, it's quite a cool little thing I noticed is as you're walking through the building, um, this game, by the way, has really nice graphics. It's kind of very, very polished. If you've got a nice graphics card, you can absolutely max out the ray tracing in this. The textures and things like that are all very nice. Uh, and, and the game runs really nicely as well. But what you do notice is that there's a lot of pictures around and amongst them are obviously pictures of the previous director as you're running through the building on entry. After the director kills himself and the the faceless voices of the board announce you as the new director, uh, you actually, then all of the images of the director are actually replaced with images of you and it just sort of happens immediately sort of thing. So there's a bit of mystery going on there. Did he definitely kill himself? Uh, Just going to throw that out there. Well, I think he did. Uh, You know, unless, like, the vision that you see is him put his gun to his hand, but you don't know whether he was currently being controlled. Big brain straight. I don't know anything about this game, so if I get this right, I'm not doing this deliberately to spoil for Will, right? The building's got a mind of its own. It's controlling the narrative. It's making her think that the guy killed herself, but actually she killed him. Plot twist. (laughs) Oh, it could well be. She killed him to assume control. What I've been able to kind of piece together about it is it does seem that the building is researching into these objects of power and each of these objects of power seems to be some sort of item that can hold memories of some sort, can hold energy, Uh, you know, it could be things like a, a floppy disk even or a CD or something like that 
and I've been looking into uh, some of the files, some of the collectibles that you do read, and they're talking about stuff that happened in the past, things like war and secret messages that were transferred. Uh, those would be considered sort of higher value in terms of objects of power because they conveyed more important information, I guess. I'm, I'm probably misinterpreting some of this, but there seems to be research in terms of energy being stored in objects that, you know, will have some sort of large impacts or something like that. It's all a mystery at this point. Uh, you're just kind of, you know, looking at people holding up floppy disks and being like, oh, this could be an object of power. Could be, or it could be nothing. It could just be a floppy disk. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of the point of it is that, yeah, these kind of fairly, you know, mundane looking items can actually be objects of power. Once you've got the gun, you're tasked with finding the next one, which is actually apparently a telephone. So again, like what happened to that telephone to make it an object of power? What happened to the service weapon? it is very intriguing there is a lot of cool stuff going on i think it's really helped by the art style it seems like the majority of this game is taking place in this bureau in this large office building and they seem to be researching into something paranormal it has a type of creepy feel which is i think aided by the fact that a lot of the things that you're looking at in the building are kind of like abandoned offices and i think the kind of the idea there is that a lot of these places that you are used to seeing people in can actually be kind of creepy when there's no one there I don't know if you ever noticed that. <laughs> the only thing I can really liken it to is that uh, going back into the office in my current job uh, during the pandemic, you know, it was kind of very surreal going into an office building that had absolutely no one in it and yeah. you were kind of the only person there. I'll second that, like including people on no other floors either. Yeah, yeah, it's this kind of odd, eerie feeling, isn't it? The only thing you can hear is the air conditioning sort of thing. But, I mean, uh, so whatever these guys were researching in this bureau, it's clearly led them into a load of trouble, because there's this thing that they're calling the Hiss, uh, which is now starting to take over the building, starting to corrupt people, as well as the building. There's certain rooms that are just kind of like, there's this gaping hole in the wall that's... It's not like it's been destroyed. It's kind of like it's been rearranged, I don't know, like uh, physically in terms of it. it's changing properties and things like that into another thing. The building is alive and it's making you think it's killing people. There is there is 100% something along those lines going on because the building is itself classified, I believe, as an object of power. So something significant has happened inside that building that has made it an object of power. Who knows? The board may be themselves products of an object of power because they, I don't know, you know, business needs a, a board. The board is the building. The board is the building, yes. Plot twist, it's all... What the f***'s the thing from Portal called? GLaDOS, yeah. GLaDOS, GLaDOS it's, it's GLaDOS. Yeah. It's all GLaDOS. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine that? You corner the uh, the last bit of the building just as you head down to the boardroom uh, and all of a sudden GLaDOS pipes up. Yeah. No, Stephen Merchant comes out first. He's like, oh, you right, mate. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's just get a little bit into the gameplay. So the gameplay is mostly a third-person shooter. It's got pretty decent controls. There's lots of scaling and hopping over objects that you can do. She can handle a fall pretty well in terms of being able to, I don't know, do something like hop off of a uh, set of stairs down to a lower floor and things like that. So it gives you a lot of kind of semi-parkour around the building while you're shooting. Kind of like Trinity from the Matrix style or more? Not as acrobatic. She's much more kind of just regularly hopping over the things it just controls particularly well in terms of the fact that you know you can do that you don't have that kind of thing that certain video games have where you'll see something that you should be able to hop over like a little bit of a stair rail or something and you try and do it and they you know as we're all familiar with they kind of bump off of it slide off of it and then yeah. just or just straight up invisible wall yeah absolutely yeah like a higher invisible wall than it appears and then you're stuck behind it looking at you Gujan 3 the combat actually works really well with the fact that you're able to hop over things and it all works quite seamlessly because you're very much encouraged to keep moving it's one of those games where you don't actually have an ammo limit on your pistol it kind of technically overheats you have a certain amount of bullets but once you've expended them the gun overheats and you have to wait for it to recharge so the best sort of thing is to kind of aim your gun open up on an enemy as much as you can until they're dead and then stop firing keep moving perhaps take cover and then sort of continue from there 
I did actually finally get to the point where I unlocked the telekinesis ability, uh, which is one of uh, what I assume is the first powers that you get. And that works particularly well in conjunction with the pistol. Certain enemies have shields that will take a lot of pistol bullets to disrupt. Um, but what you can do then is pick up an object, chuck it at them, and then shoot them. So you get into a sort of rhythm between, you know, encountering those tougher guys and using your telekinesis abilities as well as, uh, you know, shooting the sort of the weaker guys as well. And there is a limit to the amount of telekinesis you can use as well. You can throw it twice before it needs to recharge. And then much like the pistol, there's an overheat phase if you throw it twice to quickly so you're kind of keeping your eye on your cooldown bars a little bit but it kind of it, it balances the gameplay nicely you've also got a pretty powerful melee attack it's more of kind of like a very strong force push yeah. uh, but it's, it's it's very nifty uh for when you overheat your gun or run out of bullets and you need to you know get yourself out of a tricky situation a lot of the enemies that you're fighting they're kind of just corrupted humans uh but then i did actually encounter some sort of giant glowing red orb thing that was shooting bits of red light at me so i mean clearly this hiss is is behind some sort of consciousness there or at least corrupting the consciousness of the building the destruction in the levels is also really good you know you mentioned trinity earlier uh, you remember that scene where Neo and Trinity go into the lobby and they've all loaded up on loads of guns and they end up fighting a load of dudes cartwheeling between sort of marble pillars and dust flying everywhere? That's what the game feels like a lot of the time. The destruction okay. in terms of the environment is really fun. Your force push is extremely powerful. So if you're to do it at like some sort of marble planter or something like that, you can expect all of the cover to get blown away and reduced to next to nothing. Desks, chairs, computers, it all gets flung out the way sort of thing. The fact that you can pick up something with telekinesis, throw it at people, and it'll destroy all of the office stuff behind them. It's It looks really, really good in that sense. The that environment really reacts to what you're doing and things like that. So, right. yeah, a lot of cool little things to muck around with. And uh, now that I'm freed up from the game challenge, I think that I'll definitely have a lot more to talk about next week with that title. Because, uh, yeah, very keen to play more of it, considering that I've only chucked a couple hours in so far. Well, I look forward to hearing about it, man. Hopefully next week I'll find out more. With that, James, I think we're done with our catch-up for this episode. Shall we move on to a little bit of gaming news? So this week in the news from the BBC, Google closes Stadia. Does anyone care, though? Well, I'm sure that the people who actually bought into Stadia probably care. Yeah, I'm sure all three of them cared loads. <laughs> Good news for those free people, though. Uh, Google are actually refunding the customers that bought any of the software as well as extra equipment like controllers and things like that. Stadia was thought to be the Netflix for games when it launched in November 2019. I disagree with that statement, but okay. What do you mean? How do you disagree? I don't think it was ever thought to be the Netflix of games. I think that's what Google wanted it to be. I don't think anyone ever thought that was what it was. No, you're... you're Yes, yeah, that's an important correction to make there. Google touted this as the Netflix for games. Yeah. So the service will now come to an end on the 18th of January 2023 because of a lack of traction with gamers. No surprises there, neither one of us has ever shown any inclination to purchase one of these. And i got to say, I can't think of a single person I know, actually, that's expressed any interest in picking up this. I think that most people are very much on their kind of... It's one of three ways, isn't it? It's Xbox, it's PlayStation, it's PC. And then, uh, you know, there's the, uh, you know, always the group that are on the Nintendo train. Well, typically with the Switch, though, that I mean, and this may just be my group of friends and probably yours, too. The Switch is a console you have alongside one of those other ones. Mm. I don't know anyone that just has a Switch, right? Uh, mostly kids. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think this is a massive surprise to anyone. I think that at the time Stadia was announced, I'm not sure whether we actually spoke about it directly, but I definitely spoke about it with a bunch of people and none of us thought it was going to work. None of us knew why Google were doing this. Look at it this way. Xbox have been working on xCloud for a number of years, which is going to be the same thing. And that's nowhere near ready, right? Well, unless my knowledge is very out of date, but my understanding is xCloud's not quite there yet. All of my experiences with game streaming haven't been up to par with what I would want one tower of an experience like that because it relies on you having an incredibly powerful network connection that isn't going to drop at any point which unfortunately a lot of the world doesn't have yeah including areas of the uk and the us which i'm assuming were going to be core markets the fact that you'd have to buy more hardware although it is just a controller essentially have the account buy your games through it but then you would never own the games 
that is a little odd to me. It's kind of paying to rent, but you're paying a monthly subscription service as well as buying the games to then rent. Doesn't quite work for me. Was it not possible to just buy the games outright and then not pay the subscription? Or were they essentially doing the whole, well, you're not paying for a console, so you're paying a subscription to access the service and then you pay the games? I could be completely off the mark with this, but my understanding was is that the Stadia free option meant that you could only play a certain amount of games in the library that Google offered. Like f***ing Angry Birds. <laughs> it wasn't Destiny 2, it was their whole marketing campaign was, oh yeah, you can play Destiny 2. And it's like, oh, oh great, right, you mean okay. that game that's free now? Hey, I'm not going to lie, man. I haven't been paying much attention to the marketing for this, <laughs> this game. To be honest, mate, I haven't since it first started in, what, 2018? Uh, 2019 was when it launched, November 2019. If they'd announced it and said, we're working on this and it may come out in a few years, that's one thing. To announce it, release it pretty quickly after announcement and expect it to work just because, oh, it's Google, therefore it'll work. It's like, no, that's not how it works. I think it just goes to show that regardless of how much you're a household name, uh, you need to have a certain type of pedigree to go with it, you know, something to actually back up that, uh, to break into the gaming industry, I think. I think that if they were able to, you know, purchase more studios that actually were sort of less aimed towards mobile games and things like that, some more serious games outside of Destiny 2, I think that they would have something for people to be excited about. Well, it's kind of similar with the whole VR thing in the sense that it needs that IP that's going to take it off. That console selling IP, that Animal Crossing. Stadia needed an Animal Crossing is what they needed. Well, you know, yeah. Sure. If, if they would have hit that right at the start of the pandemic, hey, who knows? We could be talking about the success of Google Stadia and the launch of the Stadia Pro. Yeah, Animal Crossing Stadia Edition. You don't actually buy the things from Tom Nook. He just rents them to you, but you have to pay a subscription fee every month. To just keep playing the game, it just completely locks you out. So I guess the only other little bit that I wanted to pick up this article with you is what do you think the uh, implications of this decision will be for the future of non-console gaming? I think it has no impact on that whatsoever. Is that because you think think that it's still something that's going to be a developing technology that will be successful or i don't think it will be massively successful until the world has a base level of stable internet yeah i mean the infrastructure needs to be in place before you can actually have a service like that that's going to have mass appeal i want to see more about the technology before i form too big an opinion as things stand currently it's a non-starter for me but i think that there's a chance it could be in the mid to long term how about you what are your thoughts on it? No, I'm, I'm very much of a likeness in terms of opinions on that. I think that this is actually probably quite a nice segue into our next article, though, in terms of things that may well be able to tempt me into purchasing some sort of stadium. Or would have thing. done, anyway. Well, yeah, would have done, yeah. <laughs> so just to double down on the misfortune of Google Stadia, uh, Google reportedly cancelled Hideo Kojima's Stadia exclusive due to it being single player. A report from 9to5Google claims that Hideo Kojima pitched an exclusive single-player game to Google for Stadia, and it was cancelled due to Stadia's general manager, Phil Harrison, not seeing an interest in single-player games. Bruh. Sort your life out, Phil. Come on, mate. He's really eating his words after things like Last of Us Part 2 and Elden Ring. It's, I gotta say, man's clearly a gamer, huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this was in the best hands. Anyway, uh, following the game getting initial approval from Google and starting development, Mockups for the project were even created and shown in mid-2020 before the project was just canned altogether. Well, so it's been going for a couple of years. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, just given the thing that we've discussed, was this because Kojima is notoriously not well known for budgeting his games and staying within budget. Notoriously expensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's an auteur. He's uh, a goddamn visionary and uh, he demands the money. So it does draw into attention. If Google were considering at this point the lack of success in the Stadia, did they want to take a gamble on dropping an extra few however many million on a Kojima game to take that dice roll, whether it was actually going to make Stadia a success? Well, I know that Google don't have much cash, so I appreciate that's probably a big concern for them. <laughs> I think it kind of is less about the overall cash and perhaps more about, uh, you know, weighing up the risks involved there. Uh, oh, it would be a return on investment as well, for sure, because you're not actually selling the game in theory, right? That's true. Yeah, there's no production cost associated with that, at least. It's a sad state of affairs when you've got a, a gaming company, or you know, someone trying to get into the gaming industry saying, oh no, we're not going to bother with single-player games. Yeah, absolutely. 
Anyway, in a, in kind of opposites to the previous story... From the Netflix of games... <laughs> the Netflix of games to actual Netflix... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Netflix plans to launch its own video game studio, based in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, so it will be led by former Zynga and Electronic Arts executive Marco Lastica, and it will bring a variety of delightful and deeply engaging original games with no ads and no in-app purchases. I should clarify that that was a quote that I just read, as opposed to my own words. I'm very interested to see what delightful and deeply engaging original games the former Zynga and EA exec delivers. So full disclosure, I don't believe I've heard of Zynga. Zynga is a mobile game app developer. Okay, yep, that's why I haven't heard of them. Okay, no worries. Yep, no surprise. Yep. It's very one of the one of the extremely successful ones. But EA is a pretty big deal. You know, say what you want about EA, and I, I slag them off regularly for some of their practices, but they make some great games. They've made some big games over the years. So that's a fair bit of clout. Yeah, but I mean, EA also, you know, well known for tanking studios that it acquires. Uh, so uh, this article from the BBC reads that it's currently unclear whether the Netflix studio intends to develop games exclusively for mobile or if it will also target the home console market as well next. Uh, so... My brief experience with Netflix games, what I've seen is that occasionally when I open up my phone app, very rarely do I use Netflix on my phone. But there is an alternative section there which offers kind of very basic mobile titles. So it does sound that they're looking to actually develop that further. Time will tell as to whether it actually turns into anything. I can imagine that there's a certain market out there for the higher quality type games that you'd expect to play on your smartphone. There absolutely are titles out there that people may well play, but i got to say, I you know don't have extremely high hopes for this at all. It's certainly not something that is going to appeal to me. Likewise. I'm very scathing of mobile games, perhaps unfairly, because some of the mobile games I've played have actually been decent. You know, I shout out to Raid Shadow Legends. Raid Shadow Legends. I actually genuinely enjoyed that game for a little bit. This doesn't move me at all. Mm, mm. When I see it, I'm thinking it'll probably be included as part of a Netflix subscription. And instantly my mind goes to, oh, so that means they're going to charge an extra couple of quid a month for a service. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's going to be a, like a video game tier. Probably, yeah. you know, knowing Netflix, multiple tiers of video game yeah. subscription. And particularly if it ends up going for home consoles as well, you know, moving away from just the mobile market, that could potentially lead to even more exclusives in terms of, oh yeah, so for the first year, I don't know, GTA 6 is only on Netflix. Oh my God, can you, you know, it's never going to be GTA 6, but can you imagine, yeah. Hey, I mean, we've just talked about uh, Hideo Kojima exclusive for the Stadia, so yeah. crazier things have happened. No, exactly. So, <laughs> but, uh, and for me, I don't like that sort of thing anyway. You know, and I think that it's fair to say a lot of people were up in arms when epic got their timed exclusives or steam had theirs or whatever it's like mm, just mm. release it on everything same time don't kill your market uh, although i'm sure they get paid a bunch of money by whoever it is to be exclusive for that year so i'm sure they don't make a loss on it be interesting to see how it develops because you know a new player in the market is never a bad thing but i'm skeptical as to whether it'll actually be any good i would hope that if they actually start charging additional money for this i mean no doubt that they will just keep on upping the subscriptions as they have been previously um, but I would hope that there would be a separate subscription for the video game thing, because I can't say I'd be overjoyed about paying much more than I am per month for a service that I'm essentially not going to use. This could just be, again, another kind of misguided attempt into something that people just aren't going to buy into, uh, aren't going to want to pay, and essentially it's just going to negatively affect the majority of the audience that won't be using the service. Either that, or they're going to try and... Because they're currently quite big on their video game adaptations into TV, right? Yes, this is true, yeah. So maybe they're going to try and do some sort of synergy there. Which, again, doesn't fill me with any sort of confidence whatsoever, but <laughs> at least I can understand that more from a business sense, I guess. There's potential for this to be interesting, but it's just not moving any of my needles at the moment. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. With that said, I'm going to let you take a lead on this one, James. Ooh. Let's have you take us into the last news topic of the episode. Don't mind if I do. Let me just slide on in there. We brought to your attention last week that NVIDIA are releasing new graphics cards in October. The new 40 series. The RTX 40 series, exactly. And we sort of, we spoke briefly about pricing and things of that nature and how the 30 series was likely not going to come down because Moore's Law is dead. Uh, for more detail on Moore's Law, please go listen to episode six, available wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah. Cheap plug. Good plug. Solid plug. I'll take it. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Get them in where you can. So an article from The Verge this week touches on 
Intel graphics cards. So Intel surprised PC gamers earlier this week by announcing that their Arc A770 GPU is going to be priced at $329, which matches NVIDIA's retail price for the RTX 3060. Mm. But Intel have then come out and said that their 3060 equivalent is going to be priced at just $289. So significantly cheaper. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big old save in there, right? Oh, I guess uh, Moore's Law isn't quite so dead after well, all. This is it. Hey, NVIDIA. Yeah, they- <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that it's quite difficult to find a 3060 at $329, especially yeah, these absolutely. days. I'm sure that price has gone up because of silicon shortages and all that good stuff that we also went into on last week's pod. But for Intel to come out with this pricing structure is quite an interesting move, I feel. It's certainly ballsy. Well, I mean, it, it seems a pretty clear attempt at undercutting uh, a competitor that is currently on top. But quoting the Verge article that I'm, I'm looking at here, um, they're stating that $289 for the starting price is pretty competitive with that of the 3060. Um, so interesting move. I think you're quite right. I think it's Intel trying to sort of put NVIDIA on notice and say, hey, you know, you're saying that cards aren't going to get more any cheaper, but we're going to offer an equivalent card for this much. Now, is it an equivalent card? I don't know. I've never actually used an Intel card before, so... Yeah, the jury's out, I suppose, on actual performance of this thing until you sort of see it in front of you or we see a lovely breakdown from Digital Foundry in this, whenever that may be, or if one already exists, I'll certainly be looking for one at some point to actually sell this really matches up. Well, I was going to say, man, uh, if it is genuinely a sort of like-for-like comparison with the 3060, $289, that's 250 quid. I might be looking at buying a graphics card like that before we enter our next intelligent shortage yeah exactly <laughs> get it while it's good and don't you have an intel processor as well so that might synergize quite nicely absolutely yeah there wouldn't be any sort of difficulty there in terms of suddenly running a different format yeah, so, so yeah yeah something to keep an eye on i suppose i think that's probably enough of the news articles for one day uh shall we move on to our a games challenge Yes, the challenge. Will, talk to me. How did you get on in Monster Hunter World Iceborne? Well, I mean, I suppose a lot of the, uh, you know, the initial things I'm going to say probably aren't going to come as a huge surprise to you. Why given that not? you <laughs> Because you actually helped me out uh, considerably during this challenge in the initial stages and mid-stages as well, I would say. So uh, during this challenge, me and James kind of co-opt on the hunts. As people know, we were playing uh, Monster Hunter Iceborne, the uh, downloadable content for Monster Hunter World. This is a game that me and James have both played a considerable amount of in the past across various consoles and platforms. Particularly Um, you, gotta say. So let's just say that uh, Monster Hunter World has definitely made its money out of me. Uh, You know, I think I probably uh, single-handedly funded the next Street Fighter. And Rise, from what I hear. I hear we have you to thank for Sunbite. What's it called? Uh, Sunbreak. Sunbreak, that was it. So I had a great time in um, Monster Hunter Iceborne. Thanks again for setting this as a challenge. I think that this kind of definitely falls under the category of games that I probably wouldn't have picked up for a significant amount of time, if ever, unless I'd actually been challenged by you. So uh, yeah, very good choice. You're most welcome and I'm glad to please. So as I was playing through the game, I guess initial impressions were that I really enjoyed the new setting. Being able to go around and see in the hot spas to sort of increase your resistance to the cold. Snow mechanics are great as well when it's on the floor and you can make patterns in it. Yeah, the snow mechanics themselves are, you know, I would equate them to something like uh, Red Dead or something like that, because each character creates their own piles in the snow and it's always satisfying to draw amusing images, if you will. He means cock and balls. The little macaque monkeys chilling out in the hot springs are really cute and I really want to increase my menagerie that I've been collecting. I've been busting out the old capture net whenever I see these things around and decorating my home with them, which is uh, something that I finally got around to doing early this morning. I had a quick look at the house that I had. It's very luxurious. Yeah. There's a lot of customization options going on there. You've got various different furnishing styles, floor styles, wall 
styles, curtains, drapes, and things like that. There's the home sweet home style, which is your initial default one where it's very log cabin rustic looking. I changed it into the kind of fancy type thing, fancy banisters and oak floors and things like that. Oh, fair. Well, if you go to the table, you can choose what's on the table, and one of them's like a big old feast. And obviously, we should probably say early doors that the food in this game looks incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It's some of the most appealing video game food that you ever see. And the way that it's presented as well, because you actually get to see the preparation. For anyone that's not familiar with the Monster Hunter series, a lot of the backup that you get and domestic work that's clearly provided around your facility is carried out by a team of kind of things resembling cats, but they actually all walk around on their hind legs. Yeah. They're like chubby cats, aren't they? Uh Chubby's a bit harsh. I mean, cats are quite sleek looking. Some of the palicos are too. Are they? Are the palicos sleek looking? I don't know. Catatas fucking ripped, mate. <laughs> Catatas, my palico. Who is your palico? Right. <laughs> Based on Ratata, the Pokemon. Don't chat sh about Ratata, mate. Yeah. I will fucking deck you. Catata, please. Catata. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm even getting his name wrong. I was going to say, it's very disrespectful. So the aim of Monster Hunter, for anyone who is still unfamiliar, is mostly to bully your way through dinosaurs. Uh, well, at least Monster Hunter World, there is kind of a lot more variation in other Monster Hunter titles in terms of the bosses that you fight, which is something we'll get onto in a little bit. But for the most part, this game is you're fighting sort of giant lizards, dragons, various beasts and monsters. T-Rexes. Yeah, T-Rexes, things that are inspired from lizards. There is a few kind of bird looking dragon things to vary things up. There's things that slightly resemble bats, I guess. Uh, there's a something called a Tigrex or a Tigrex. It's a tiger dragon, isn't it, really? They're, they're all I didn't get much tiger from it, to be honest with you. I just saw a dragon. It's slightly orange. It's the it's the teeth that you can see that make it resemble that. Well, they're kind of saber-toothy, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So as I was saying, um, you're kind of just basically playing your way through, uh, hunting down these monsters, either capturing or killing them, and using them for a combination of research, research and captions there, definitely. It's kind of questionable what the research involves, further than just figuring out cool ways to wear the thing that you've murdered. I was going to say, it's research into fashion, that's really what it is. It is, yeah. It's just more like, I guess your commander is some sort of Cruella de Vil, and you're just kind of going around bonking everything on the head and kind of yeah. wearing it or turning it into some sort of weapon that you can then use to kill more powerful monsters. I mean, it's quite funny. I think a lot of this, there's definitely a kind of ignored factor here that uh, you are just kind of showing up in an ancient land, completely disrupting the cycle. It feels like, you know, you've only just recently established yourselves here, really. You're kind of, I think at one point in the game, even the commander says something like, maybe it's just because I was born here, but this is my place that I'm going to defend. And everyone sort of <laughs> takes a stand based on the speech that he says. And it's like, well, I mean, you are kind of invaders in this land. And now you're just kind of hunting creatures for what seems like mostly sport if i'll be honest <laughs> yeah there's a couple of dangerous ones out there but mostly sport yeah you're right there's a reason why i said bullying dinosaurs earlier uh it, it truly does feel like that as you're sort of beating down the monsters they'll start to show signs of being tired they'll start limping away and things like that and it does feel particularly mean when you've just got four people taking turns to take chunks out of it while it's clearly trying to escape uh <laughs> <laughs> or waiting for it to fall asleep and putting a barrel bomb by its head and then saying, you know, yeah, yeah, there's particularly cruel tactics involved at certain points. Cruel, but very effective. The alternative, of course, is to actually capture them, as I mentioned earlier. And at that point, then they sort of get transported back to the base, but they then sort of mysteriously go missing by the next mission. Yeah, and some of the NPCs walk around in some fancier outfits every so often. You're like, hmm, I wonder where they got that from. I'm looking at you, excitable A-lister. The cutscenes being unskippable is quite a drag, considering that I haven't been paying a great deal of attention to what's going on. Uh, you know, it, the premise to me is as simple as I explained earlier. You're killing shit to wear shit and kill more shit with better shit. There is a story in there somewhere, but that's the crux, yeah. That's about the gist of it. To make it more interesting, we've been adding our own little twist on the story, you know. <laughs> me and my handler in a very, very casual relationship, because she's also getting together with old lady tracker. Yeah, the tracker lady as well, yeah. So, yeah, the handler's really kind of a bit all over the place in your, your private storytelling scenario for Monster Hunter. Yeah. 
Well, I know you prefer Serious Handler. Serious Handler, for me, is best waifu, you know, basically. I've just cucked the excited boy, Lister. Yeah, he's none the wiser. He's too busy carrying shit around and being in cutscenes and whatnot. (laughs) You know, he's not not really, you're not paying attention to it. I mean, they're not even, are they even together? They're just Handler and they're just partners, right? Jesus. Excitable A-Lister would be punching with Serious Handler, I'll tell you that much. You're not wrong. Um, well, first of all, uh, we might as well state the weapons that we were using for this. So I actually went for the Charge Blade, which is a weapon I'm very familiar with. It's probably between World and Rise, both the Monster Hunter titles that I played. I probably spent about 90% of my time using the Charge Blade, which is a sword and shield combo, which can be charged by attacking the creature or by blocking hits with the shield. Uh, as you fill up the cells, you are then able to independently charge by both the sword and the shield, which you can then combine into a giant axe, which can then deal loads of damage and unleash various different elemental effects and things like that, depending on which weapon that you're using. Yes, whereas I used what is called the switch axe, um, which wasn't always my main weapon. I did used to use the dual blades, the insect glaive for a little bit. I actually used the the light bow gun for a long time, but that's not great for soloing with. Um, But the switch axe is essentially a giant great axe that you swing about wildly. Again, similar to Will's weapon there, you build charge on it and you don't even need to wait till you've got enough charge really, but you can mutate it into a giant great sword, which does a lot more damage. And when it's charged, then at least it's its elemental effect. The one that I'm using has a dragon elemental effect on it really really good fun it accommodates an aggressive playstyle. but if you mistime your attack you can leave yourself seriously open for a counter-attack from the creatures and very very risky weapon to use but once you get used to it and you get your timings down and things very satisfying indeed absolutely the heavier weapons in this game are very weighty uh they have long sort of recovery times after swings which is something personally that i actually really find quite enjoyable playing monster hunter i mean they are giant weapons that you're swinging around it's nice that they don't feel like they're swinging them like toothpicks especially when they're made of like bits of bone and metal and yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. going to be light, do you know what I mean? But that does sort of make things like spacing when you're fighting a large creature quite important. Because obviously, depending on where you are, they'll do various different kinds of attacks. Uh, and the fact that you're potentially in a place at the end of your move that is counter to where they're going to be is always a kind of difficult moment. Uh, it definitely plays a larger part into the gameplay compared to something like Dark Souls, where spacing is still important, but in Monster Hunter, the amount of AoE attacks that they have and things like that, I feel like it's much more relevant there. You're much more at risk of finishing a combo in the wrong place and then getting hit by a follow-up. The other thing that can be really annoying is because the animation to get up when you get knocked over is so long-winded in Monster Hunter World, and, and rightly so, you're getting smacked by a giant creature. It does make it that double important because you can still get attacked while you're on the floor. Yeah, exactly. There's no iframes while you're recovering, no. So if you get knocked over, you I mean, you can get insta-killed, particularly with endgame creatures, because the attack that knocks you over might take off half your health. While you're on the floor, they might run up to you and swipe you, and then that's it, you're dead. These monsters have sort of various phases as well. So, you know, they have a phase where they are just in their normal mode, aggressive and alert. Then they also have a phase where they get really pissed off. And at that point, then they will uh, have some sort of physical indication to show that they're actually pissed off. Their eyes will glow bright red. Although I'll get like a flare that kind of like think that scene in Jurassic Park where the um the uh, dinosaur spits tar into that guy's <laughs> face and its neck flares up that stuff like that will happen in terms of the other phases that monsters have they also have a tired phase as I mentioned earlier your windows for attacking them and things like that are essentially bigger at that point you start off these fights playing fairly conservatively and even more so when they actually hit their rage mode but then when they tire themselves out or they've sustained enough damage and they're looking quite haggard then you're able to kind of really lay into them. You can also do things like knock them over. Weaken body parts by grappling onto them. Uh, and you can do, you know, even things like actually mount them and then do a sort of special move that will then knock them over onto the floor as well. And I think all of that works really well with the fact that what we just said, that the fact that the weapons are so heavy, that to do your ultimate move in the weapon combo, it takes a certain amount of preparation and having done sort of various moves beforehand. And that's why playing with others is quite key to not the enjoyment overall but it does make a 
a huge difference to the enjoyment i've got to say because I, I i tried to solo a lot of iceborne originally and you can do it but it takes so long and you don't get any sort of chance to set yourself up like some of the stuff we were doing in the week just gone neither of us would have been able to do solo because like for example there's times where it's aggroed on me i'm attacking it you'll then climb up somewhere jump off and land on it and mount it which then means i can then run around while it's focused jump on its tail and i love trying to cut off tails man it's like my thing in monster Hunter. i've got to get that tail so but yeah you can do all sorts of cool stuff like that and when you have three or four people as well it's just incredible the scope of things you can do so more on that point we were reverting to using the sos flare quite a bit when we were playing together which then allows players from outside of your actual server session to come and join you um so it essentially opens up the pool of players that are then able to jump into the session and it's a great feeling hunting a big giant t-rex with dinosaur wings with four other people and the weapons that are available to you in this game is extremely extremely diverse a lot of them essentially completely change the way that you play it genuinely feels like a completely different game if you're going to switch between some of these weapons but playing with four people and everyone's taking a slightly different approach you've even got a, a weapon that allows you to buff players that are surrounding you whilst also being a very effective melee weapon called the hunter's horn there's a whole load of variation in terms of gameplay at that point james i'm going to use this as a good time to segue into something where there's not quite so much variation which is the actual monsters that are in iceborne i gotta say as someone that's really enjoyed world and rise playing iceborne i was a little bit disappointed by the lack of variation of the monsters from the base game i think that there was a missed opportunity there in terms of some of the monsters they could have included this being an ice or snowy themed game how is there not the abominable snowman style monster how is there not are we, are we disregarding the bambora in that yeah no not close enough there's about four or five base monsters that every single other monster is based off and if you and once you see it you can't unsee it yeah a lot of these monsters you can tell that a lot of them are essentially using the same framework for the models and a lot of them will say for instance walk in a similar way or share certain similar moves they do do a very good job of varying the different move sets i was going to say i had no idea that the, for ages that the paolumo was a pookie yeah yeah it was only yeah. when it does its running attack and you're like oh it runs like the pookie whereas like you say an anjanath and then you get the full get anjanath it's like yeah you're the same and this is the thing is i you know i've got no problem with using the same framework for the monsters and then varying them up significantly what i don't like seeing is what you just mentioned there the folga anjanaf uh the frost fang barioff uh the oh i haven't seen that one what's the fr is that just the same as a barioff is it absolutely yeah seething basil geese uh the shrieking legiana was the one that got me the brachydios was actually one of the newer enemies which i really enjoyed fighting that was the one that had the kind of the thumpy fists that pump into the ground yeah. and it leaves kind of explosions around for you that you've got to avoid still just an anginath though right so the move set on that one because of the fact it did have the large fists it did feel varied enough I will give a shout out while we're talking about this though to the Coral Pookie because I thought that was done really well. Yeah, uh, no, 100% I'm with you there on that. There are some of these, you know, I can't deny that actually, even though they were very obviously just reskins, the additional moves that they did get did make them feel unique enough and really interesting fights. My feeling in this was the monsters that were included in Iceborne were a lot faster. They were a lot more agile yes. uh, in terms of the way they hop around during the fights. And a lot more aggressive too. Absolutely. Aggressiveness dialed up as well as their actual super moves were pretty devastating. And, you know, I didn't count the amount of deaths it took me this week, but there was a lot of those moments where I would get knocked over and then I was unable to recover before I got taken out by a f***ing hyper beam or something. <laughs> oh God, that f***ing Valkana's ice beam, man. Yeah. Some of the new moves didn't have as obvious a tell. Yes. So it'd be like, yeah. so for example, we're talking about the Valkana's ice beam, right? It had one that shot forward and one that sort of arced around the map, mm. and they looked, they had the same build up in my mind. So it's very hard to like, you dodge one way, and then you get arced because it's like, oh shit, I've dodged the wrong way, or you dodge and it's like, oh yeah, it's a straight line. That's exactly what I thought, which is good for the challenge, but it's just like something I noticed. Whereas I felt that in base game they were a lot easier to telegraph a lot of the time. Yeah. Could be a familiarity thing though as well. I've put way more hours into the base game than have iceborne so as well as some help from you this week we also had some listener involvement and i got some help from a very kind listener i think we actually did perhaps two or three missions so you know really really great to see someone actually reaching out and getting involved yeah i'll second that it was, it was a really nice touch that it was a very very fun experience and you know pretty cool to play with the listener gotta say so thank you for joining us 
Okay, so we've talked a lot about the uh, the monsters, and you know, as with most games, we're all prepared for the final boss. And I'm pleased to say that I did actually get to the final boss. The final boss in the game is really cool. It starts off as what looks like kind of a one of the larger monsters in the game. It is kind of meant to be an elder dragon. It's larger than the final boss of the base game previously. So it is probably, okay. I think it's that was probably, pretty big. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think that it's, it's about that size and uh, therefore it has a wide range of moves that hit very wide. In terms of design, it originally looks like a sort of stone golem type thing. Um, and it okay. has extremely large wings that resemble hands and it has a lot of sort of attacks where it will reach out, fan the ground and then rake inwards, which makes it very difficult to avoid the fingers as they're raking towards it. As you fight, uh, you're breaking parts on it. Eventually, all of the rocks sort of crumble away, and then it reveals underneath it a very large elder dragon that's just been sort of hiding away. And initially in the fight, it's moving quite slowly, and suddenly the mobility uh, is increased. It becomes very evasive. Its moves become a lot faster uh, than it was previously when it was encased in stone. It suddenly has access to a lot more area of attack moves, uh, and it's... Uh, just a lot more aggressive all over. But Will, the suspense is killing me, man. Did you do it? You got to the final boss. Were you able to finish it? James, I did complete Monster Hunter Iceborne. That's what we like to hear, man. That's what we like to hear. Losing streaks over, baby. No more fails here. Oh, yeah. Well done, man. That's really, really impressive. In the bag, baby. That dry streak is over. What's the score, baby? Tell me. That brings it back to two all. Two all. Damn straight. So, unfortunately, I've lost my advantage. Hey, it's all to play for still. It's all to play for. But, James, there's something I'm not telling you. Something I've been holding back on telling you. What's that? Did you cheat? No, I didn't cheat. I did complete the game. Did I contribute very much to completing the final boss? No. No, no, I did not. I died about, I think it took me about three attempts before I actually was finally successful in having the monster defeated for me. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. On my final attempt, this was, it was my kind of final attempt at the game, but I really didn't expect to actually have this as my final attempt, particularly because I ran into the issue where, you know, you die, you go back to your base, you get ready again and you go out. And I kept on getting into that. After three attempts, I eventually forgot to restock on potions. So I was pretty damn low. Um, I died before I was able to use them all up, thankfully, on the previous run. But I was running low on potions for that run. Right. Also for this final mission, they don't give you the opportunity to eat before the mission, which is responsible for boosting your health, your stamina, as well as various other effects it can give you. So I was kind of in the fight. I got knocked three times. And at that point, I had no potions for the final stage of the fight. Just as I was hanging out in the starter area after being sent back to it, after dying for the third time, I was looking down at the dragon like, oh, what's he doing? Is he doing his ultimate? And then suddenly the screen cut and the uh, three other players that I was with (laughs) finished it off. So it felt like this is perhaps what some might consider an undeserved victory. Um, I would just like to say uh, many thank you to uh, those free players. Uh, So are you just going to claim their victory? Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I, uh, you know, jump back down into the arena in time to give it a good carving and uh, job was a good one, mate. Challenge complete. (laughs) Hey, that wasn't against the rules. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I stayed very, very firmly within the, well, extremely wide framework that you gave me there. Oh, well, no, I, I thank you for admitting it. That's very honest of you, but uh, <laughs> absolutely no impact on the result, man. You still completed the challenge. Yeah, uh, you know, a victory done, yes. A victory deserved, mm. You did the rest of it. <laughs> I did do the rest of it. Again, uh, once again, with a, a lot of support, which I am very thankful for. So there we have it, James. Uh, another challenge down. I emerge victorious from the challenge of Monster Hunter Iceborne. But with all of that, James, uh, I think it's now time to get on to my challenge to you. So this is a challenge I fought quite long and hard about. As you know, James, today we are recording episode seven of the podcast. Seven is, of course, a lucky number. So I'm wishing you all the luck in completing this next challenge. My challenge for you this week is... Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. 
Oh. Now, this is not a completion challenge. My challenge for you, James, is to complete 77 different shrines in Breath of the Wild. I feel like that's a good challenge because I also think that it may not be as easy as you think it is because these shrines do depend on you exploring the majority of the map to find them. Not all of the shrines are easy to find. A lot of them are hidden away somewhere. A lot of them you may even need to get specific abilities to unlock. So I think that actually this is going to be kind of one of them challenges where uh, it's going to be achievable but I don't think it's as, it, you know, on the surface it sounds easy, but this is going to test you, I think. Yeah, no, I might, this is this is a good one, man. I'm looking forward to giving it a go. As I say, I've, I've probably put, I don't know, maybe 10 hours into Breath of the Wild total, maybe even less. I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. It was probably less, actually, in all honesty. So I have no real prior knowledge, if you like, going into it, aside yeah. from some of the shrines that I will have already done. So no, yeah, this is a good one, man. I think they will challenge me. Uh, there's no risk of the game not fucking working, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I really felt like I I owed you a single player challenge this week, following the disappointment of the multiplayer. <laughs> no, dude, you owe me nothing, man. That was a. I'm gonna generously call it a freak accident because I don't think it's standard that you get that bug three no. times on the bounce. No. I think that was just really unlucky on my part. I'm hyped to do this because, uh, like I said, it gives me an excuse to get into the Breath of the Wild again. We were talking about it a few episodes ago now about because the new one been announced yeah you know absolutely. at some point i'd like to get back into breath of the world to give it another fair crack this could be what gives it a fair crack because without knowing too much i imagine i'm gonna, probably going to have to do at least one of the bosses to unlock portions of the map to get to the, these shrines it really depends i mean there's various ways you could attack this you could sort of try and progress the story to get certain abilities that are going to allow you to get certain shrines easier or you could just search far and wide and see how many shrines you can get without progressing the story i think that you can really you've got a bit of freedom here to attack it from different angles yeah really looking forward to hearing how you get on with this challenge uh but with all that said i think it's time to draw this episode to a close so once again a very special thank you to all of our listeners thanks again to james for joining me for another week we're looking forward to bringing you another episode next monday episodes release weekly at nine o'clock on mondays You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcasts on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pop Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And whilst you're there, you can also find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. I think we're done for another day. Let's play us out. Bye-bye. Bye.